In these unprecedented times, we need effective immune support. That's why I'm excited to introduce two formulas that work, CV Defense and CV Acute. There's nothing quite like them. CV Defense is a daily preventative. The only supplement that delivers the six most important ingredients to optimize your immune function, including PEA, a critical molecule for long-term immunity at the cellular level. CV Acute is a fast-acting, great-tasting syrup for direct immune activation. It eliminates invaders with a fruit flower and root of patented Chinese medicine. I take it when I feel run down to fend off respiratory infections. Both products are safe, all-natural, and backed by numerous clinical trials. For more information and to order, go to TotalImmuneHealth.com and take advantage of discounts from 30 to 50% just for listening to Intelligent Medicine. That's TotalImmuneHealth.com. TotalImmuneHealth.com for the most exciting immune support products in years. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's our weekly get-together with our nutritionist in residence, Layla Mutin. Call it Q&A with Layla, wherein we answer your questions. Radio program at AOL.com is the destination for questions, and I am delighted that so many of you are uh, taking uh, this resource and utilizing it. We're getting a lot of questions, so we'll get to questions momentarily. A couple of stories, though, before we do that. Costco bans Monsanto's glyphosate from all U.S. stores. That's big. That's big. That's a reason to join Costco. Hey, I've been looking for a big box store, mm-hmm. and there's a BJ's near me, but the, I hear that Costco's better. Okay. So I'm not endorsing anybody here. Right. But that's a reason. Yeah. No, but the, I think it's, we're seeing the dominoes are falling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, it's interesting. I watched, um, I don't know, I think it was like a sports event. Mm-hmm. And they just kept coming up every, uh, you know, between the breaks in the basketball game or, you know, injury timeouts. Uh, they would keep coming back to these ads for Roundup. Yeah. I was really surprised. They're really oh, trying no. to, that's their last gasp. They're trying to sell out mm-hmm. uh, their inventory of uh, Roundup. Mm-hmm. But fewer and, people are, uh, fewer and fewer people are wanting to take it. Yeah. And uh, stores are now banning it. So I'm very glad to hear that. Wow. Um this one um, has to do with the pandemic, uh, coronaphobia. Coronaphobia. Yeah. And Fear of corona beer? <laughs> used to be. But now, uh, it, I think we're going to experience a uh, pandemic of anxiety disorders and uh, misophobia. We defined that word last week. It means germphobia. Yeah. Uh, where yeah. people will be loath to... Go outside, go unmasked. You know, we, we've actually lifted mask mandates. A lot of people want—they want their masks. They want their masks. They're—they're they're, they're still it's in like the a grips security of, blanket or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, the fear is is deeply implanted. Yeah. And I think a lot. Well, of listen, people, here in New York, even the legislature is saying, keep wearing your mask, keep social distancing. It doesn't matter if you've been vaccinated or not. Keep doing this. I noticed a very high percentage of people on the way to work. I see they're wearing masks outside. Yes, they're wearing masks outside. Yeah, yeah. Even in my neighborhood in Queens, I'm like, well, what's up? Let's brag on masks, but just in terms of the, uh, you know, the long, deep seated uh, impression this is having, especially on kids, especially on kids. Uh, the kids may be afraid to get close. Uh, Kids may be afraid to, you know, touch each other. This is trauma for children. Yeah. 
and and wearing masks. The very young kids are getting used to wearing masks. Yes. You know? So I don't know. You know. So that you know, well, it's a topic that we're going to come back to on uh, some of my podcasts. Yeah. Um, also, uh, a new book that I'm excited is coming out. Uh, just came out today. Uh, Metabolical: The Lure and the Lies of Processed Foods by one of our favorite authors. Uh, Dr. Robert Lustig. Dr. Lustig is a oh, pediatrician, yeah. and he inveighs against uh, processed food and sugar uh, in his writings. And you know, we're very much looking forward to that book uh, just just mm-hmm. out this week. Mm-hmm. So I might recommend that. I mean, it's like not that anything in that book is going to be revolutionary or new for for us mm-hmm. who've been studying it, but it's it's good that this is getting out to a general audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not even sure we're going to interview him for. Uh, our intelligent medicine podcast because it's really preaching to the choir. Most sure. people will be saying, "Well, you know, that you, we knew that." Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, it's going to be the, good. The, metabolical, great. Title. Metabolical is a great title. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yep, that's terrific. That's so terrific. let's get to questions. Yeah. Radio program at aol dot com. The destination for questions. We've got one from Caitlin. Hello, I stumbled across your page. And an ulcerative colitis success story, which oh, is still good. there. Uh, I currently struggle with collagenous colitis. Which is just, let me define Yeah. Soon. It's a different type of colitis. It doesn't have actual, uh, you know, uh, granulomata as such as you find in, in Crohn's disease, mm-hmm. nor is it bleeding ulcerations. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, transformation of the surface of the intestinal tract into a collagenous mess. And so, as such, it is, it's probably about one twentieth of colitis cases. Yeah. And we have had a few cases. We don't have that many cases of that. Mm-hmm. They generally respond to diet. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I don't think it cures it, but it is helpful. Yes. Yes. I'm in the process of going gluten-free, dairy-free, soy, and egg-free in my diet, but I'm wondering about low-dose naltrexone. How long before the results are seen? It, it's I'm easy desperate to, to try anything. Yeah. I'm on steroids, budenicide, and it helped until I tried to get off of them. Yeah, the, the effects of low-dose naltrexone are blunted a little bit by being on steroids, but since those are just locally applied in the intestine, you may get some benefit from LDN. LDN is a low dose of naltrexone, which is the medication that they use you know, for overdoses. Yeah, um, it's like an off-label use yes, of, of, this of medication. this drug. Yeah. Yeah. But a very low dose. Yeah. Um, could it be helpful for collagenous colitis? Well, it's proven in Crohn's disease. It's, uh, you know, by um, mm-hmm. extrapolation, we could say it could be helpful for ulcerative colitis. Uh, for collagenous colitis, maybe could be helpful. Yeah. Here's a really interesting one, though. Hmm. Um, there's an article here about uh, LDN for chronic pain. Oh. That I'm going to talk about on my weekend show, but I'll look, give you a preview. Addiction medication promising for chronic refractory pain. Well, it's not really an addiction medication. Um, it actually blocks opiates, but at a low dose, it may be helpful for fibromyalgia pain and wow. chronic pain. So the researchers found uh, in patients getting low-dose naltrexone a 40% improvement in disability at three months. These were p- patients who had uh, severe back pain and fibromyalgia. Mm. And um, so mm-hmm. uh, that, that's pretty cool. You know, uh, small study, improvement increased to 50% at 12 months. Uh, adverse events, da da da, not much. Um, da 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 da, you know, so they need, you know, more studies are needed. But yeah. low dose naltrexone can be helpful for chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, um, mm-hmm. many autoimmune conditions. And 
It yes. is uh, not efficacious when a person taking high dose steroids or powerful immunosuppressant drugs. Okay. Works on the yeah. endorphin system. It does. By raising endorphin during the night, because the time to take it is yep. at night, uh, what endorphin helps to do is modulate the immune response. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works. And, and maybe affect yeah. pain pathways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Caitlin, I would also advise you to go to a website. It's called breakingthevicioucycle.info. That's breakingthevicioucycle.info. For any type of colitis, in my opinion, you should be on something called the Specific Carbohydrate Diet. It's the Specific Carbohydrate Diet. Check it out. Okay. Feel better. Let's see here. We've got... Yeah, we uh, just had a Crohn's patient today. That we, we did? Saw yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. A young gal. Yeah. I use an email from Ellen. Dear Dr. Hoffman, almost all the doctor's offices I occasionally have to go to are using Virex wipes disinfectant. I have asthma. What's in Virex wipes? Did you look it up? I, no, I, I, no, Some I didn't. Some of these have been bad things. Oh, yeah. benzene. Oh, please. Uh, like, go wash. Go, methyl, methyl go take alcohol. a bath after using this stuff. Yeah. I have asthma and they're very toxic for me and I get sick for days after being there for a short period of time. One integrative doctor is using Sani wipes, and they're fine and approved by the CDC against COVID. I'm curious to know what you're using in your office as a disinfectant, as I'm trying to educate a few places I go, and I'm sure you're using something resp- something responsible that's not toxic to sensitive people like me. Um, if you personally can't answer me, maybe you'll write about this topic in one of your newsletters. Well, you know, I, here's the thing. You know, I think this whole push to sanitize surfaces uh, has been a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, because uh, what you simply have to do is, if you touch a surface, uh, don't put your fingers in your nose or your mouth or your eyes. Right. And wash your hands. Right. And that'll take care of it. So I think we've created a lot of problems, like this guy who's sensitive to chemicals by you know uh, spraying chemicals hither and thither and yawn. Yeah. It's useless and it's harmful. Mm-hmm. And you don't get. COVID from surfaces. That's been pretty well delineated at this point. We just didn't know that in the beginning. There's a multi-billion dollar industry of like people come in and sanitizing places. And there's going to be a lot of money poured into schools and they're going to sanitize, 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 sanitize. Um, You know, look, I'm all for cleaning the subways because the people use subways in New York as bathrooms Mm -hmm. in New York. So I'm glad they clean them. Yes. But I don't think it makes a difference in terms of the COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... You know, I, I, the, the, there's probably in the risk-benefit equation, there's more of a downside to exposing people to a lot of toxic chemicals. Oh, yeah. Unnecessarily. Yeah. Would you choose cancer or COVID? I'll choose COVID. Well, here's the, also, you know, we had that patient yeah. who had a, a very bad hand rash. Yes. And she was, A, she was wearing gloves everywhere. And B, she was putting disinfectant on her hands like all the time. Right. She was very worried about COVID. Right. And overusing and hand said, sanitizer. Cool. And the, la- the last time she came in, she was fine. Yeah. She just stopped yeah. with all that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had a couple of people call our office. This was in the beginning of the, the lockdown. It was like May, June. I never had this rash before. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Well, it's an unprecedented use of Lysol and other such yeah. disinfectants. So when I told them you have to stop that... And stop being OCD about the hand washing, especially with antibacterial soaps and yeah. all of this. You're messing up your skin's microbiome. Yes. That We're... microbiome is protecting you. Right. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, they felt better. Not to mention washing away some of the surface yeah. oils that are protective to the skin. Yes. Because the skin is a little like a raincoat. It has some coatings mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, Ellen, there you go. Okay. Uh, we have a couple of vaccine-related questions. I'll, I'll give you both of them. One is from Charmaine. Uh, when I had my J&J vaccination three weeks ago, my immediate after-vaccination symptoms were feeling of something running down inside my arm and a strange feeling of something happening in my head. A little later, I had a slight headache and dizziness while I waited 15 minutes in observation. No soreness of the arm at all, and unlike my husband, you couldn't even see where the vaccine was given. So 12 hours later, I had a temperature, chills, body aches, and a headache. This lasted 24 hours. This is exactly, these are exactly the symptoms my sister had, oh. except not anything running up and down her arm. Right. Just like bad body aches and headache. Mm -hmm. Is it possible the vaccine was administered intravenously instead of intramuscularly? What do you think? It, it's kind of unlikely uh, yeah. because, you know, unless you hit a big vein, you're not going to uh, put it directly into the bloodstream. Although eventually it'll be, the here. idea is that it'd be carried into the bloodstream. Yeah. Uh, so um, it's supposed to be intramuscular, and mm -hmm. then that means that there is a blood supply, but. There's mm -hmm. not hopefully veins. I don't think there's a problem with that. Yeah. Um, even if it were to be administered as an IV push, you know, like directly into your big arm vein. Yeah. I don't think that they've demonstrated that that is uh, a toxic uh, exposure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but, yeah. you know, what she describes are within the range of normal reactions to the to the vaccine. Yeah. You know, funny sensation in the arm. Okay. That's a little weird, but. Yeah. You know, it dissipated, you know, the, the malaise and some low-grade fever, mm -hmm. you know, uh, headache. Uh, headache. Like, you know. Yeah. All right. And another one about the vaccine from Carrie. My question to you is, if I'm a healthy 44-year-old woman, I exercise daily, I eat well, no metabolic syndrome or comorbidities, why would I need to subject myself to the vaccine? With so many promising treatments and preventions, I heard your, your podcast with Dr. Leo Gallon recently. Why not choose these routes instead? Isn't the vaccine to prevent death and severe reactions to COVID? The chances of my getting either are very low. So again, why would I need to get one or better yet, my children? Honestly looking for answers because I do not intend to get the vaccine, but I truly value and respect your opinion. Well, you know, there, there's twofold reasons. You know, one is from a personal level to protect yourself. And if you feel you're at low risk, there's less of a compelling reason to take the vaccine. Yes. On the other hand, I mean, you can't predict the possibility that you have a mild case of COVID and you won't die from it or be hospitalized, but you could have long-term sequelae. You could have yes. what's called long hauler syndrome yeah. or long COVID, you know, with um, really um, debilitating and bewildering symptoms, mm -hmm. which is unfortunately occurring in a you know small percentage of people, but nonetheless, that adds up to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so I would say, you know, generally you're likely to weather it, but you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I would say is there's another compelling reason to consider the vaccine, and that is as part of your civic duty to eradicate the virus. Mm. And, you know, that's why, you know, they're going to take ordinarily healthy kids who have a very low risk, mm -hmm. and they're going to try and get them all vaccinated. Now that is... But the vaccine doesn't eradicate the virus. Well, it... it it remains to be seen. Yeah. It remains yeah. to be seen, but it, it, it's less likely that it will eradicate this. It's The model is for something like smallpox, mm. you know, where we've taken a disease that ravaged humanity and killed millions of people, tens of millions of people, and now it's like virtually unheard of, except yeah. it's in a few bioweapons caches, 
you know, hidden away in some vault somewhere to yeah. be unleashed on humanity, uh, you right. know, uh, as a doomsday weapon. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, um, we, 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 that's the model. That would yeah. be the hope is that we'll abolish COVID. But I think that that's, a, I agree. I think that's an illusory goal. I think, first of all, realistically, not everybody's going to take the vaccine. There's yeah. going to be a high double digit percentage of people who are not going to take the vaccine. Yes. Um, and uh, the other thing is that it's a different virus. It's a virus that is a more akin to the flu. On the model of the flu shot, uh, even if we did a hundred percent compliance with the flu shot, we would not have eradicated the flu. Right. The flu mutates their variants. The variants escape. That's why a different so flu shot. Every I would year. say that's a little less compelling rationale. Although I have to say, one of the reasons why U.S. is ahead of Europe and ahead of places like um, India is because we've had a lot of vaccine uptake. Mm. We've also probably had a lot of uh, infections in this country. Right. So while we Which have adds achieved, to the herd immunity. We, we may not formally reach herd immunity, but yeah. I don't think herd immunity is like a binary thing, like either you do or you don't. I think right. it's, it's a relative thing. I think we have some degree of... It's a little bit like when the you know when there's a forest fire, they chop down some trees. Not all the trees, but they, they create a fire break. Mm-hmm. And the fire break doesn't mean you have to chop down the whole forest. You just take a patch and you, you know, kind of, right. and you, you thereby slow the, the progression of the flames. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the vaccine effort has somewhat succeeded in taming this. Um, you know, so the question is, I don't know what to do for this individual. I, you know, we've been yeah. having a lot of discussions with people, even if they come for something else. Yes. Say they come for like, you know, all sorts Invariably of there will be this conversation well, because it's I what's have happening. a conversation with them. Have you taken the vaccine? What are your thoughts on the vaccine? Let's analyze your particular either compelling reasons to take it or are there any reasons you shouldn't take it or, yeah. you know, can you hang out for a while yeah. uh, awaiting more research on the side effects of the vaccine or uh, can you await the development of probably the next vaccine? Because if you, if you wait till fall, there may be an entirely new vaccine. It may yes. be the so-called booster that right. uh, addresses that the new variants. they may put in pill form. Well, yeah, or maybe like a nasal sprayer, you know, right, there, there will right. be other options for people to achieve immunity. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's not an unreasonable position for a healthy person to say, if they're not having a lot of contact, yeah. uh, to say, maybe I will wait, mm-hmm. uh, not precluding the need to, you know, if there's a surge, God forbid, you know, maybe, you know, you'll you'll sign on or maybe... You'll be constrained to take the vaccine because yeah. maybe you want to go someplace and you'll, the Europe and then you'll is, go get it. Europe is closed to right. non-vaccinated people. Like, well, who's going to spend your entire life not going to see exactly. you know, beautiful monuments and history and stuff like that? And know? relatives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Charmaine. Thank you, Carrie, for your questions. Okay. This is from Cheryl. Dear Dr. Hoffman and Layla, I've been reading about the health benefits of MCT oil. Is it really that healthy? Can it raise cholesterol like coconut oil because it's a saturated fat? Is it healthy to eat on a regular basis? I am confused. Well, there there are many. The fact that you're confused, a lot of people are confused. It's controversial. And MCT oil uh, is a medium chain triglyceride. Yes. Like coconut oil. Like coconut oil. Generally derived from coconut oil, although it can be derived from others and still be a medium-chain triglyceride. So what are its benefits? I mean, it has been touted as a weight loss thing. Yeah. Well, it, when you take it, it basically throws the body into ketosis. Mm-hmm. It's going to be metabolized first. Okay. The fatty acids are going to be metabolized first. They're used for fast and quick 
energy. So if you couple that with, say, a low-carb ketogenic diet, it keeps that fat burning going. MCT oil, particularly coconut oil, also contains lauric acid, a beneficial, it's a short-chain uh, mm-hmm. saturated fat that can confer its benefits by uh, becoming monolaurin in the body. It's a potent antiviral, antiviral. Yeah. that way, which is beneficial. Is there a, a benefit to the GI flora, to the microbiome? Yes, yeah. it's very cooling. Coconut oil especially mm-hmm. uh, is very cooling, quote, yeah cooling to in, the GI tract. It's antimicrobial. In traditional Chinese medicine. Exactly, sense, yeah. all of that. So MCT oil is that healthy. And that's the stuff you want to put in your uh, bulletproof coffee or tea. Mm-hmm. Tea with yak butter or whatever, however. This now, now, so I, I'm a little confused because uh, on the one hand, it's said to assist weight loss, but it's also for someone who is really compromised uh, with absorption, it's actually a good source of fuel. And yes. caloric support, it's right? It's very easily of, absorbed. It, it's it's good energy. It's mm-hmm. yes, it's easily absorbed. It's good energy. It's fat burning metabolism. You're basically burning up these fatty acids, these medium chain fatty acids, because they demand to be metabolized. So first. Would, you, would you say it's it is sort of adaptogenic for those who are overweight and might help weight loss, but yeah. for those who are underweight it might be a good nutritional support easily absorbed uh, energy source? Absolutely. And anybody suffering with fatigue, anybody looking for weight loss. Now, you don't want to continue on a junky diet and think that you're going to take MCT oil and lose weight. It doesn't work like that. Right. It's not going to be nearly as beneficial as as it would in the setting of mm-hmm. already being on a lower carb diet, where your body's going to shift into that fat burning lipolysis ketosis more easily. Yeah, I've talked to way. some of the top people in the keto movement and most of them are not in favor of these exogenous ways to trick the body into ketosis. Yeah. They more are about caloric restriction and, and intermittent fasting and yes. a very low-carb diet. And a very low-carb diet. Here's the thing. You could take this MCT oil. It's going to trick the body into being in ketosis for the amount of time until that tablespoon or two of MCT oil has been used up. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Take another two tablespoons right. every four hours or every whatever? That's going to wind up being a whole lot of calories. Yes. I'll you stay it. on your junky diet, those calories still add up. Yeah. Okay. I mean, a tablespoon of coconut oil is approximately 100, maybe 110 calories. Oh. That that winds up to a whole lot of calories if you're going to do six tablespoons of it a day. Yeah. Some people even go higher than that. Hmm. So it's meant to be used in conjunction with, but it's also great for people with GI issues, inflammatory GI problems mm-hmm. or IBD, uh, people with fatigue issues, mm-hmm. people with viral or even post-viral issues. Maybe that, that would be great for the long hauler syndrome in taking some MCT oil or something like that for the monolaurin, right? Yeah. Now, Cheryl also asks, can it raise cholesterol like coconut oil because it's saturated fat? It may, but that matters way less because it's also raising your HDL. Yes, yes. So your your ratio will be better. Yeah. Your ratio will be better. Uh, Yeah. However, results may vary depending. Uh, It appears that most people in response to saturated fat may see an increase in cholesterol. Yes. And it, but a corresponding increase in HDL, which yeah. is good. But also a reduction in triglycerides. Big time. And if it, they're on a low-carb diet, not just simply with the use of MCT oil. So it, it, the, the results may vary. But yes. what's interesting is that you could take MCT oil or coconut oil or yeah. saturated fat and put yeah. a lot in your diet. 
and you could see your cholesterol come down. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you're lowering your triglycerides. Yes. Because they do not contribute to high triglycerides. It's right. carbs that right. raise triglycerides. Your triglycerides are being used now right. for the fuel. Yeah. Because um, these are fatty acids. Yeah, I was trying to formulate a question once for a quiz, and mm-hmm. uh, I had to reformulate it because, you know, I was trying to say, well, I had, I wrote, you know, generally what happens when you consume saturated fat. Mm. And for a lot of people, their doctors say, look what's happening on this diet. Your, your cholesterol went up, but then their triglycerides really went down. That's exactly. And their HDL. So they say, oh, we get off that diet. Right, you know, right, right. But they're losing weight on the diet. Their blood sugar is becoming better. Exactly. Uh, the insulin resistance is going yeah. away. Their blood pressure is coming down. But here's the other thing. Uh, if you had a pattern B, LDL, it will eventually become a pattern A. Yes. A big mistake that people make. To, to, can we just yes. hone in on that, that yeah. issue? What, what are we talking about? Pattern here? B, the small, dense, atherogenic LDL is not desirable because it's atherogenic. When you're on a lower-carb diet... Uh, when you're in lipolysis ketosis, that LDL goes from a pattern B to the more desirable pattern A. These are big fluffy particles. They are less apt to form coronary calcification in the arteries and all of that. Mm-hmm. The other mistake that That's people make... That's when you make, slice and dice the LDL. You don't exactly. Look, say your LDL is like borderline. It's 140 or something, yeah. 130. Yeah. And the doctor wants to put you on a statin. Well, you may want an analysis as to your uh, NMR. Uh, yes, it's a VAPS uh, test, an NMR test. Uh, which breaks down the, the different particles. types of the LDL particles to describe whether it's the more dangerous type of LDL yes. or the more benign type of LDL. Right. A mistake that people make, they'll embark on a, on a ketogenic diet and four weeks, six weeks later, they go running to the doctor for blood tests. No, because your lipid profile is in disarray right now. Yes. It takes about a good 12 weeks okay. for all of those numbers to start to normalize. Yep. And that's when you hear, get off that diet. Look at your LDL. It's going to give oh you a heart God, attack. Oh my God, what's happening? Yeah. Stop. You're clogging your arteries. Right. No, you got to wait three months before you go running back to your cardiologist to get any blood tests done. Okay. And you need to be 100% on the eating plan. Not eating ice cream when you wish, and so forth and so on. And right. I was just thinking about a patient today who's. Because if you, you follow the ketogenic diet with like uh, you know, <laughs> like some some pasta, a little pasta, a little ice cream. Yeah, I'll have an ice know, cream three nights a know, week for my dessert. You know, That's some, not a ketogenic diet. Yeah, some uh, cold yeah. cereal for breakfast, but it's right. ketogenic. It's like I have, I had my keto. You know, I had drink. my keto exactly, exactly. I had my omelet this morning. Yeah, and then what did you have? The re- well, I had all these other things. Yeah, that's not a ketogenic diet. So, Cheryl, great question. All right, time flies when we're having fun because <gasps> it is time to break for part two. Layla, give us a preview of what questions we're going to tackle in part two. <gasps> My 27-year-old son was just diagnosed with celiac. Oh, let's tackle that question when we return. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman today with Layla Mutin, our nutritionist in residence. And it's our weekly Q&A with Layla. We'll be right back with part two. This is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.